Welcome to the Renewed Nurse Podcast. I'm Nurse Meg. And I'm Nurse Em. Hi, Em. Hi, over there. Um, so I already know that you're sipping coffee. How is it? Yeah, it is um, Jet Fuel Beautifulness. Uh, what did you put in your coffee? Um, so I've been on a sugar kick and I need to stop. I find myself like legitimately craving it like a drug during the day. So I'm trying to get off of my sugar kick. And now it's just black because I've been doing a sweet cream almond milk throughout the day and I'm going to try to wean myself. You kind of went hardcore though, because (laughs) having like a a significant sweet tooth to just black coffee. Yeah. But I like also just ate a um, granola bar that has a significant amount of sugar in it. So, okay. Yeah. I won't get like the shakes on you or anything. Okay. Um. I always drink my coffee black, so it's funny when people come to the coffee cart because you love, you love the caramel cream latte. Oh yeah, I'm not cart. picky. No, I yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that. You definitely like that, but so everybody always comes to the cart and is like, "Well, what's your favorite drink?" And I'm like, "Well, I can tell you what everybody else really likes, but like for me, I'm just drinking like a salad cup of black coffee. Like I yeah. really like that." You know what was splendid the other week? I got Starbucks and I haven't gotten in a while because I usually make my own coffee or obviously go to your coffee cart. And um, I got an Americano from Starbucks and it was just a plain black Americano and it was marvelous. Like, really? great. Yeah, great flavor. I was really impressed. And Good. yeah, it like made me re-realize how much I love coffee. Oh, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. I know. Especially like really good coffee. Yeah. Um, so we hope you all have a strong one in hand. I know. It's so true. It feels like Em and I were just talking about this, that for so many people, um, ourselves included, but others that we know as well, it just feels like the start of the new year has kind of been a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I need to say kind of, just a legitimate yeah. gut punch. Yeah. And I think as like deep feeling, empathetic individuals, yeah. we on top of if you're experiencing your own personal heaviness and then like if anyone around you is experiencing anything hard like man it just feels like you're just trying to get through without feeling the weight of things throughout your day yeah and I think it's always a little bit more challenging this time of year too yeah for sure I I don't have the seasonal affective stuff but I do notice a difference I think most people do when it's gray and cold and it just it makes even some of life's burdens feel a little bit heavier so For sure. I was driving out of my driveway today driving out of my driveway where are you now I was um that happens and I said to myself you know Emily if you live in Florida <laughs> in like a nice warm place you would be so fit like I feel like whenever I'm in like whenever it's warm out I love working out like not that I don't love it anytime because I do, but it's harder to get myself out there and like do physical activity when it's cold out. I just want to snuggle. It's just snuggle weather. And yeah. I'm like, you would be so fit. And then I'm like, who do I think I am? Like, that is no excuse. Like, <laughs> stop <laughs> even telling yourself that. But I'm like, there's total validity in that, you know? There like, is. I, I love the most of just thinking about you talking to yourself. So I say yeah. myself. Yeah, self? that happens. Happens a lot. No, I know. We all do it. But it just, <laughs> it's bringing me joy right now. <laughs> I uh, mean, in my defense, Graceland was in the car. So and there you go. <laughs> so it was really like not just a monologue. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dialogue. Uh, yeah, I got up early. I went to the gym this morning. And then 
pretty much the whole way through my gym class, I was regretting my decision to go to the gym. Like for a straight 45 minutes, I was pretty much unhappy that I had to call. <laughs> but now, but now. But now, yeah, was I mean, I knew that I would eventually get to the place that I'm like, okay, but that was just a really good way because, like you, the sweet tooth has been strong. Listen, um, so we're yes. yep, and so. we will just say all these things to make you, as a listener, feel know that you are not crazy or alone, and give yourself grace yeah. because we are today. Yes, this is a day of grace. So you grab your your cup of black coffee or whatever goodies you have dumped into it, and just know that your pals Emma and Meg are are with you. Yes, Meg. What are we talking about today? Yeah. So you and I thought that we'd uh, kick it back to some legit medical uh, content. Not that what we I think we are always obviously talking about things that are applicable. I mean, either to us being nurses, you know, as um, we know ourselves better and we are bringing healthier versions of ourselves into the profession because, gosh, do we need that? I mean, I guess we'll probably just keep echoing that forever. There's so many of us within the profession. Um, but we really wanted to go back to more like content for this one. And so the funny thing is, is that when you and I started talking about this, I said, hey, I think that we should talk about codes. Just codes are traumatic in a ho- in a hospital. Uh, it's traumatizing if you're on a code team um, and it's not your patient. It's really traumatizing if it is your patient. Yeah. Um, and you were, Meg, you were part of a code team, correct? I was, yeah. Are you? Were you? No, negative. Okay. But I knew, I remembered you saying that. Yeah. And so I just think, though, nothing is worse, in my opinion, as a nurse, than feeling like that, that split second moment when you're like oh my gosh what did I miss what Mm -hmm. did I miss what should I have done better you know when your heart feels like it's in your throat because you're just like shoot could I have avoided x y and z and I really do think that like 98 percent of the time nothing could have been done differently you know we all are doing the very best that we can um so Em and I decided like yeah let's like talk about this topic and then Damar Hamlin happened with the Buffalo Bills yeah, because um, you had mentioned this, like, end of December, and that was, like, early January. Right. Do you know what position he plays? I don't even know. Oh, I don't, but I can find out. So in case you are under a rock and you are unaware of what's happening, or actually, maybe if you're not in the United States, um, you won't know the fact that there was a football player by the name of DeMar Hamlin who plays for the Buffalo Bills. He's a her. safety He's a safety, which actually think... doesn't mean like a whole lot to me. I'll be completely no, honest. No. Just adding to the conversation here. But if anyone else can know and appreciate that, there you go. There you go. You know what? I, I have told you that I have had a lot of years being on the side of a football field as an athletic trainer. Like I was oh, very anyways. raised. I mean, my stepdad was a football coach. Like I lived and breathed high school football for a lot of years. And so it's kind of pathetic how very little knowledge I have of the actual game itself. So the safety is the defense's last line of defense, and they make sure that no offensive players run for a catch or touchdown. Deepest player on the on the field, which he was not in the deepest position, I didn't think, when he got hit. But either I, way, did not you here nor there. The play? I did. You did? Yeah, we were watching it. The, the live game? Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, then do you want to tell everybody what happened in case they um, were not yeah. aware of the situation? So from what I can recall, he was like, there was a player, a pretty big player 
that was running in like it ran into him and so I thought like he was trying to block them and stop them yeah and he like took a big hit and um went down and then like I can't remember now it's all feeling like a mix in my head but I think he like tried to get back up and then he fell back down yeah and then he like his legs and arms just all like went up and convulsed and like went back down and then that's when kind of things escalated right so they ended up doing CPR on the field and rushing him to the University of Cincinnati and he was um is he I think he's I'm not sure if he's still in the hospital or not but obviously he was in a medically induced coma for a couple of days but obviously is doing really well now but it also got the whole world talking about CPR uh, there was a lot of Jesus conversation around this. There were a lot yeah. of people praying. There were a lot like, of... I think he is a believer. Yes. Yes. There were a lot of really amazing moments. I shared with Em there was one um, that went viral of one of the ESPN sportscasters on live, like national TV, bowing his head and praying over DeMar out loud. I mean, there were players taking knees on the field. Like, it was a really cool unifying moment yeah Dan Dan Orlovsky was the ESPN Dan Orlovsky Orlovsky Mm -hmm. so we love that Dan did that Um, and it seemed like just a lot of people were talking about their personal stance with where they are with Jesus and their belief system so even um, when the Buffalo Bills went back and played last week for the first like return game since all this happened. Um, the very first like the kickoff, it was returned for like a 96 yard touchdown. And they were saying like, there was basically a divine act, which I thought was awesome. Like that's where like the quarterback was at. And so there was like some really cute moments between like DeMar um, tweeting out to his team and things like that. So all that to say, it became like very much of a, a feel good story. But I think for the medical community, I mean, um, tell me what you were seeing, but on social media, it really felt like everybody was kind of hitting this next level that said like, we literally stopped and did not continue a football game. Um, and everybody witnessed what a cardiac arrest looks like. And stop their lives. But what about when you are in the medical profession? And what we do is all of that. And then we sort of just compartmentalize that and stick that into a little box and don't deal with our emotions and go right back to taking care of our patients and right back to the next thing, like with no real debriefing, no real processing, no ability to say like, oh my gosh, that was traumatic. And so I felt like that was good for that to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, because it needs to be acknowledged again and again and again, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to the times where, um, like, I had gone through codes, like, as a new grad and into, you know, the later years. And the times where the organization I was working for at the time was trying to implement a pause after resuscitative mm-hmm. efforts. And I think we all see that as such like a silly thing sometimes, especially now with the short staffing that we're experiencing. Yeah. Like, well, who would take the time to do that? And that's silly. And, and we also live in a um, culture of our occupation where like, then you're the softy. And why would you need that? Like who, you know, you shouldn't need that. You should be able to just move on. Mm. And I think there's such an adoration in my heart for like fighting against that um, idea because yeah. 
I know for me, like the moments in which I don't care and those things don't hurt me is when I worry because that's when I'm like, okay, this is going to come up at some point in my life and I don't know if I'll be ready for it later. So I think like any literature that I was looking up, it doesn't matter which tool you use post um, resuscitation and there is a significantly higher rate in which PTSD um, affects people if the attempt of resuscitation um it's higher if it's a failed attempt, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So recognizing that too, because I think we might know that, but like really being like, okay, this one was a failed attempt and like, maybe I don't feel like I need it now, but the pause, even if you look at it from a perspective of, if not for you, I think in our profession, sometimes it's easier to say I'm doing this for someone else. I think we're more inclined to do it. Mm. Um, It could even be taken and thought of as a, Um, educational my next patient might be better off because we can learn and have some feedback on what we could have done better or and along those lines then the psychological stuff may come out um, that people need to say as well but what are things that we could have done better and that then to benefit our next situation like this so yeah even if switching the perspective to that might be helpful Mm -hmm. um, but yeah it doesn't matter what you implement just that you implement something in your practice. Yep. And if you're not finding it in your practice, that you implement something in your own personal life. Yes. That there's a journaling, that there is um, another, probably nurse friends is going to be my guess because it's going to be okay to share it with somebody who's not in the nursing profession. But again, I think that you will probably get further with somebody who's empathetic because they really understand this. Yes. Right. Um, and the other thing, I mean, you're just talking about how traumatic it is, especially if the patient does not survive. Mm-hmm. But per all of the literature that I'm finding, most of the patients are not going to survive. Once you get to cardiac arrest, um, even if they do come back, for them to actually have a successful survival to discharge, the numbers that I was seeing was like 17%, which seems a little low to me. I'm not going to lie, but I've also seen, and I know that the chances of surviving if you are coding outside of a ICU or critical care area is already much lower than mm-hmm. if, which is why code teams were implemented. And if your hospital does not have a code team, please, 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 please do me a huge favor and put that in front of somebody. And start pushing that because you need, because hospitals that don't have code teams absolutely don't have the same level of support and outcomes that hospitals that do have code teams. Mm -hmm. And so like, it just, it just matters, of course. But all of that to say that when our patients don't make it, it's often not because there could have been anything else that could have been contributed. And so there's also a space for me and I'm sure for you, Em, um, to say early on in my practice, like I am not God. Yeah. So medicine is a weird blurred line between if I don't intervene, then obviously the patient's going to actively die. And if I do intervene and the patient dies or lives, like how, like where, how does that all shake out with my faith? Right. Um, and I don't, I still don't have it. It's never going to be fully black and white, I think, mm-hmm. but for all of us, like it's going to be 
yeah, just, it's going to be a hard space. And I think it's obviously harder when it's your own patient. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you had your own personal patients code? Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you remember your first code? I actually, it's so weird because I actually think I had more patients code. Like, you know, we talk about often like the quote unquote, I'm doing finger air quotes here, ego of ICU nurses um, versus a med surge position or um, like a step down unit. We're talking acute care setting, of course. And I had more codes as a step down nurse than I did as an ICU nurse. And part of that probably which we can assume is because we have closer monitoring. We catch it before it happens. We don't have yeah. many patients. You know, there's lots of things that probably lead to that. But I had more codes um, in the less acute setting. And so this is for everyone. I mean, I mean, you could be running a marathon. We hear stories of people running marathons that have codes and, or, you know, not codes, but have like someone fall in front of them or whatever the case. So really this can be applied anywhere. Um, but I also saw in a bunch of the things that I was reading that like, which we can assume this, right. That the people who are the newest to our team, the new grads or the new residents are the ones who reap the most trauma from these situations Mm -hmm. and circumstances and Mm -hmm. I say that just to have like bring an awareness to that that like this is known and that's okay you are not the softy you are not not a great nurse you are not to not be where you are or in the field you're in if you feel it harder than the nurse who's been a nurse next to you for four to ten years like this is known and it's statistically shown in physicians and nurses worldwide. So um, I just want to bring an awareness to that too, with all of this, because it's okay. Yeah, good. And I liked when you said, sometimes you actually get more concerned when you're finding that your heart is maybe a little bit more hardened, and Mm -hmm. you're not feeling like the twinges. Yeah. Because right now, if I walked back into an ICU setting, I feel way more emotional right at the go uh, than I probably did when I walked out of the ICU 10 years ago. Right. Because I'm not exposed to that anymore. And so it's not it's not routine. And sometimes it is unfortunate that seeing sick people and people die becomes routine. But mm-hmm. we do become desensitized to it. So I think it's good for you to say, like, yeah, I'm just I'm glad that you're putting that out there, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are that is the right human response. We don't want to live in a yes. world that people don't care when these things happen and that's why when Damar went down on the field and the whole world talked about it for days and felt the impact of it in some ways I found that encouraging Mm -hmm. because we feel very sometimes it feels like we're very hardened to one another Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and the other thing that had me pondering in all of this I had sent this to Meg beforehand because I was just so intrigued by this there was one study that actually stated, which I know this is a constant debate, um, especially in the ICU setting of if you have family at bedside for Mm -hmm. the CPR and resuscitative um, efforts. And I know it's always a back and forth. And I've often heard it in the patient's families who are more um, having a more difficult time letting go. It sounds like from my own experience, staff is more inclined to say they need to be here at bedside to see what we're putting their family member through, yes. you know, because sometimes I think as staff, we get frustrated feeling like we're trying things that we shouldn't be. And we're just causing more harm than good. And we feel like families don't get it. And as much as we want to pass that judgment, it's not ours to pass. And we don't know the full depths, but it, 
obviously is a feeling that we are okay. To, you know, that's okay to feel that too. Um, because sometimes it really does feel like that. But in the one study that I read about this, it said that it was less traumatic in the long run for families to be there and at bedside and see the CPR being completed versus when they aren't there to see CPR, they had more PTSD in the long run. And so Mm -hmm. this really got me thinking not only with like Damar Hamlin, how many people witnessed that CPR in the field, but then for us, like where to go from here, because I don't know about everyone else listening, but I never want to like, if I can catch myself in a victim mentality, like I want to try and get myself out of it. And so what does that tell us for our profession? Like if people mm. are experiencing less trauma, mm-hmm. witnessing the CPR, you know, is that something that we can run with in a way that helps us? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like there wasn't any one governing body in the United States that is making this a recommendation yet to actually have family at the bedside. And like you said, I, I know it was something that was being discussed at my hospital years ago when I was an ICU nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we've also seen family members that can get quite hysterical, um, vocal. I mean, I've had family members like collapsing in corners of rooms and things yeah. like that. And so, um, I, and, I, and I don't mean clear, like just for implementing that in our practice. I mean, for us as nurses too. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that uh-uh. make sense, Meg? No, like, uh-uh. like if people are there at the bedside and seeing it and sometimes not, this is not always, but the, um, you know, the odds ratios and everything in the, um, clinical conclusions that I read on the one study said that more often than not, it helped versus hurting. And this yes. is not every situation, but I'm saying for us as nurses, like, if it's helping people who are not in the profession or maybe they are in the profession yeah. you know, a little bit to see that, like, how yeah. can that help us? Can it guide us into a path of saying, okay, obviously this is really hard, but like we're honored to do what we do and to be able to possibly bring life back. Um, yeah. And, you know, with Damar, they talked about a lot of the stories I read were saying, God totally used this trial to triumph. Like, yeah, I'm just saying from a nursing perspective and knowing that's, statistically like can we try to grow from it more than have it hold us back obviously not you know desensitizing to the fact that trauma is a real thing right I think that right so I just think knowing how some families have reacted um, not necessarily during a code situation per se but when their loved one is taking a turn or they've lost a loved one or anything like that. Like some of um, these really extreme, like emotional outbursts. I think that in order for us to have people at the bedside, because it could be obviously a really helpful thing um, since it's showing a decrease uh, or having like positive outcomes because family got a chance to witness it all. I think we would just have to have like additional like chaplain support that could, somebody could be specifically with the family members, you know, there would be so many like logistics to it as well, because you couldn't be pulling the code team away to go help navigate whatever emotions the family is having. But I think that if we could find that balance of like the additional probably like, again, not a nursing person, I would assume because we're just so tight, but I wish that there would be more forward momentum in that conversation and again maybe there is in other hospitals I'd love to hear it if there are hospitals that have already established this in the states because it just feels like sometimes in the profession it feels like we kind of um 
we talked a lot, you know what I mean? Like we put a lot of like possibilities out there, but man, it takes a long time to actually make a policy, change a policy, decide that this is what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to like, I feel like everything that is said nowadays, um, it kind of is like a, Oh yeah, sure. Let me just add that too to my list, you know, because we are all feeling stretched so thin. I mean, with my time not in the field right now, I have spent it on the other side pretty darn often with having a baby and then spending time myself in the ED for my own things postpartum. And then now with my grandma, like I have been on the other side of things so much and I've never walked into a facility like I have just recently as a family member and seen more computers than staff. Mm-hmm. Like, so... I guess I just in that want to say like the reason we wanted to talk code is for you guys as listeners, I guess, just to approach the conversation um, to say that your feelings are completely valid, that um, there's good conversation in this area that can help us grow and, um, you know, trying to bring that to the forefront in your practice, because realistically implementing something new in your practice is probably not at your all time high goal right now. And you probably just feel like you're treading to get through your day and your shift. And um, yeah, so just know that we're here for it and your feelings are valid. And um, like Damar Hamlin, I mean, the trial can turn a triumph. So I'm sure that, you know, God will use that in your life if it's something that you have struggled with or are struggling with. Yeah, I think Jesus really was able to enter into people's pain, which is something that I really admire about him. Like when they talk about Jesus and God being the great physician um, and the healer. He mm-hmm. was often with them and there's really raw moments. And I think that's one of the greatest parts of our profession. One of my most favorite things. And that even though it is really hard for us um, to also bear witness, there is something about being able to bear witness and have somebody alongside you, even if it's a stranger to be able to say, I'm really so sorry you know, or I am really done all like everything that I could do. Like I am here. I came to work today because I care for your loved one. Like that is beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of moments that we get a chance to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus, even though it is really hard. So I love that you're saying about some of these like trials to triumphs. Like we will see that in our own walk. And um, yeah, it's a good takeaway to just remember that if you're new, And even if you're not new, again, like not everybody is going to be seeing codes all the time or dealing even with um, taking care of somebody who has passed Mm -hmm. and having to prepare them for the morgue and put them into a body bag. Like these are not normal everyday experiences and exercises for the average person. Yeah. So that is going to impact you. You will feel alienated from a lot of your family and friends because they won't understand it no matter how much you try to explain it. Mm-hmm. And so finding your own little um, band of support within maybe your own unit or wherever your nurse friends are. I feel like a lot of times just nursing school, you kind of come out with one or two like really rock solid little friendships, you know? And so leaning on your people um Em did a great job of reminding us that, like, you're not less than. Uh, this is totally, totally, totally normal. So I wish – I kind of want to leave them with, like, one tangible feel good. Like, when you're walking into a code, what is one thing that you can really do 
bring to the table, M, other than actually like the life-saving skills? Is there anything that like kind of bubbles up in your mind that you're like, when I walk into a code situation, when I'm running to a code, when it is my code, here's one thing that I actually try to do that can help the team. Do you have anything like that? The first thing and only thing that comes to mind when you're asking me that without like sitting and pondering it for a little bit, two things, I guess. One is be present. And that was a challenge that I just wanted to say too. you know, if you find yourself um, falling into the hardened space, like I really challenge you to take a minute, no matter how, listen, I know that you're you have, you might have eight patients on a, in an acute care setting at one point, five in the ICU. Like that is so far stretched. Five patients in the ICU. I have read that in one article. I think that was a small community hospital, but I don't think that that's the common denominator, but you know, even up to Mm -hmm. three is a lot. That's what Mount Sinai was protesting against or striking against. And so, um, I just challenge you, even in that, like as a believer or not, I mean, as a human being, to pull up a chair, even if just with one of your patients for five minutes, three minutes, because so I good. feel like really refocusing on that so good, and just being present. And that's what I'm leading into with your question of like, in a code situation, you can be the most uneducated in this realm. You could, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real. I've heard of charge or travel nurses being charged on units because they're the oldest, most knowledgeable nurse. I mean, we are projected per the ACN to have like an astronomical increase in number of nurses throughout our years. Like that's not going anywhere and it's going to, we're going to continue to get staff. I don't know where they're going to go if they're going to decide to be in the inpatient crazy world, but either way, like you could be the oldest or the youngest in a situation, but walk in with the mentality of just, all right, I'm refocusing myself. I'm putting my blinders on to each side and I'm going to be present right here and right now mm-hmm. with my colleagues and with this patient that's laying on the bed And I'm going to focus like you're in game mode is the one thing. And I will say, like, for me, the other thing that really came to mind was just faking a confidence. Um, And I don't mean do things that you don't know are right or wrong. I mean, don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid to pause and be like, is this what we should really be doing right now? Or like, did we think about this? Like, and speak up because I found myself in my whispering tone of uncertainty in those situations. And then I walk out of it and I talk with people and they were thinking the same things. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure if you're thinking it in that situation, you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. And so even if your confidence is simply repeating the med that you just gave in a super loud voice, like one of at the given, like super loud and confident, like that's kind of what I would say with that is just even if you're faking it till you make it, like your confidence will spread to others. Yeah. And despite the outcome, I think it's never a bad practice. Yeah. What do you think, Meg? Do you have anything that came to mind? I think my two things were one, if the patient is not your patient um, and you are not actually needed in that room, don't be in the room. <laughs> because I think a lot of times on units, we all get super stressed. And so we're, obviously panicking because this individual is not doing well, but now there are 30 other patients that are not being taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so I would say one thing you could do if it's not your patient is to support that nurse by taking care of her other patients. Yes. Love when someone steps up with that. And like, it's always like after the fact, the person that did that, you're like, Oh, good thinking. Thanks for doing that. Yep. Yeah. Immediately that nurse is like, shoot, 
I've been doing this for the last 45 minutes, yeah. you know, because now I'm calling the family and whatever. So Right. And it also allows them time after to go take a minute. Like, hey, I got this. I've been doing this. Go get a like, coffee. Go get a coffee. Go just take a breather. Or, yes. like, do you need to talk? Yes. yes. Yeah. Love Amen. that. Amen. And I think uh, the confidence, like, speaking confidently, I thought was really good. And, like, closed-loop communication, I am here for it. I am here for it in life, right? Yeah. Like, circle back. There's a reason that we teach People close loop communication in code situations is so that assumptions don't ha- uh, happen and that mistakes are not made. So mm-hmm. when you repeat it back, you know what I mean? Like I'm drawing up one milligram of epi. Now I've given one milligram of epi. Like that matters. Yeah. It sounds uh, almost dumb and redundant, but um, so also to just take a bre- breath and slow down for one second would be like my second thing. Yeah. Um, you guys have heard me say it. And ever since I heard it, I really loved it. Um, fast is slow and slow is fast. Mm-hmm. When we are rushing, we forget things. We are not doing things well. Like you just said, we're not seeing the patient or the individuals that we're with. We're more likely to make a mistake. My hand is shaking and I'm going to miss getting the IV or drawing the labs that need to go off. Just take a breather. Mm-hmm. nothing will happen in two seconds which is really all you probably need to get yourself re-centered and just take that breath and then do the thing and you're yeah. more likely to be successful if you go a little bit slower initially yeah yeah good ones i like it okay um thanks for joining us guys for the conversation thanks for what you're doing um my number said that two hundred thousand patients in the hospitals will experience a cardiac arrest in 350,000 outside of hospitals. So it's good that there's a lot of us walking around in this world because people are going to need us. And um, Em and I are very grateful and appreciative for all that you do every day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, being like I had mentioned before on the other side of things for a little while now, um, we may not be able to change and fight justice to the system itself. Um, but the little change that you make, as I stated, being on the other side of things, when I had a good nurse with my grandma or myself, mm, it makes a difference. It made a huge difference despite yeah. how good the provider was, despite how things were going, it makes a difference. So you make a difference and thanks for what you do. Like Meg said, have a good week guys. Catch you Bye. next time. Bye.